Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 62 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Ramsey Ford. Ramsey Ford has practiced design from seemingly every perspective. As an award-winning product designer, a design professor, a maker, and an entrepreneur. His design background gave him a unique perspective for solving complex problems, and his passion for social justice inspired his master's thesis on what designers could learn from community organizing. This intersection of design and social justice was the state of Design Impact's founding idea of embedded design, deeply engaging design as a change process in organizations and communities. Ramsey continues to advance the conversation on inclusive design through workshops and speaking engagements, such as the Public Interest Design Institute, IDSA International, and Unite for Site Global Health and Innovation Conference. Ramsey regularly shares his perspective on social design through outlets like Design Observer, Fast Company, Innovations, and Product Design Hub. His work has also been published in the Public Interest Design Practice Guidebook and Leap Dialogues. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Ramsey's insights on how we can get business to create more social impact. We'll get Ramsey's thoughts and perspective on social innovation opportunities, and we'll hear what Ramsey believes is the best way to tackle complex community issues. Ramsey, thanks very much for joining us. It's great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So to kick things off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you to a career specializing in design and social innovation? My design background is industrial design. I studied at the University of Cincinnati um, and then practiced as an industrial designer for uh, several years. Mm. Throughout that entire process, I've always been interested in you know what design can do to create a positive impact in the world. Yeah. Um, and you know, really, when I was a young designer, just didn't have the capacity or the wisdom to understand how to really apply design in those contexts. You know, do volunteering, do a lot of different kinds of work, but never really was able to kind of like find that key way of getting in there. And so after practicing for a few years, I went back and got a master's degree and I studied the, the kind of the intersection of community organizing and human-centered design mm. um, and paralleled the processes and tried to understand, you know, where the two could leverage each other to create more sustainable change in communities. Mm. And so based on that work, you know, with my uh, partner, Kate Anissian, we co-founded Design Impact, um, which was really doing just that. Fantastic. So as design director of Design Impact, what sort of projects are you involved in then? And, you know, how are these projects creating positive social change? Yeah, so um, the past year, I've been really working on a half dozen projects, but I would say there's been, you know, two really large ones that have taken a lot of my time. Uh, one of them's in 
the city of Columbus, Ohio, um, working with the United Way of Central Ohio on building a financial capability network. So basically the idea is that they've got a, a number of organizations that provide, you know, financial services, credit score, credit, credit scores, you know, uh, and strategies for uh, savings and, you know, kind of retaining wealth for, you know, low to moderate income individuals. Mm. Um, but they weren't kind of working in collaborations, a lot of gaps of service, uh, kind of very different standards across. So we worked uh, with that, with a lot of those different organizations to kind of bring users into a process of understanding what the real needs in the community were, and then kind of convening organizational leaders together to kind of start to identify and generate a network so they could actually work together moving forward. So that was a uh, one of key processes that I've been working in this year. And then the other one was with uh, Jobs and Family Services, uh, which is a you know, social services, a major government sponsored social service agencies in the United States yep. Um, yep. and around Dayton, Ohio, which is near Cincinnati, where, which is where we're headquartered. And in that process, what we were doing was applying the design process with frontline staff to increase staff kind of like understanding of the kind of agency overall. It's a thousand person agency that serves about 500,000 people a year in the region mm. to get staff to collaborate better, both kind of vertically and horizontally to provide better customer service and thus outcomes. And so we are in the second year of a, of a program there that takes about 75 staff at a time um, and has them go through a human centered design process as kind of a, a form of, you know, improving customer service and developing them as leaders. Fantastic. And so both those projects take up a lot of a lot of my time. But, you know, outside of that, I'm helping, you know, run the organization. We're an 11 full time staff organization that's, you know, pretty consistently working on about, you know, eight different major projects, uh, really just supporting other team members on the work they're doing as well. Well, they sound like some really interesting projects, Ramsey. So what do you believe are the fundamental ingredients then that are necessary when designing alongside these communities to ensure that the outcomes that you create produce positive social impact? You know, I mean, for us, one of the, the, the core thing is really just like running an inclusive process. Mm. So looking for every and all opportunity to involve kind of like your core user, you know, and, and for us, a lot of times that's either a community member or community members representing whoever actually lives within the geographic space that we're working or within an organization, it's, it's a cross section of staff. So often focusing on the voices that aren't normally at the table, hmm. um, bringing them really closely into a process. And so for us, you know, when we're looking at this, we're looking at, you know, in, you know, whether it's in, you know, improving outcomes in a community or improving access within a community or, doing the same thing with an organization, we feel like the essential ingredient is to have, you know, kind of that uh, community level or frontline level organizational people in as part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of other things that kind of come around and really help us do that, but we feel like we don't have buy-in in that space and we're really not going to create sustainable change uh, within communities and organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So are there any particular processes, tools, or methodologies that you commonly use throughout these projects? Yeah, I mean, you know, our, our overall methodology is based on kind of a human-centered design process, yep. you know, where you're doing framing, you know, discovery, synthesis, ideation, piloting, implementation, yep. um, that sort of space. 
We also borrow really heavily from uh, leadership development principles. So the idea of really getting individuals to see how they relate to whole organizations or communities, getting people to work more effectively in teams, yep. and then you know communicate with each other uh, across difference. And so we kind of take this human-centered design, leadership development, we sprinkle in when necessary various concepts from our organizational change or adaptive leadership, you know, various things from the entrepreneurial space like lean startup and, and put together approaches that really fit what the community organizational needs are. Mm. Um, so we're pulling a lot of tools and methodologies from all those different areas yep. to really make change happen. And so before you, you spoke a little bit about, you know, it really being a process led by the communities and having those communities take ownership over the projects. So I imagine, you know, there could be various reasons why projects could fail or, you know, common reasons why these types of projects fail. So one, I would assume, would be if, if the community then doesn't take ownership. But have you seen any other really common reasons? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times projects fail or, you know, programs or campaigns fail for lots of different reasons. You know, a really key one, though, is is leadership and it's buy-in, you mm. know? So as much as we talk about bringing community to have a seat at the table of making those decisions, if leaders aren't bought into that process, if they're not bought into the idea of a change process in general, so if they're paying, pay, or just paying lip service to the idea that their organization needs to change the way it works or that new ways of thinking about community organizing need to occur, then, Projects fail because so they don't have that buy-in if they mm. don't have kind of like that decision maker really supporting the process and investing in it. There's just there's no way they move forward. Yeah. That's been a really hard learning for us over the years is trying to understand, you know, when we have that and when we don't. Yeah. Um, because you know the success or failure of our projects and programs really hinge directly upon that. Mm. Uh, and and it, it is a hard thing I think sometimes to tell on the front end because you don't know the politics of a space. Uh, going in often unless you do a lot of kind of groundwork and research specifically on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you were to be working with a, a government, for example, how might they most effectively engage communities in order to tackle complex issues? I think, you know, what, you know a lot of times I think, you know, what we see when we, when we talk to kind of like from community organizations up to kind of local government. So we don't, we, we don't do a lot of, we have not done work with government outside of like a, a city or county level. Mm. So like I'll be speaking from kind of like a, a local regional perspective rather than like a state national perspective. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of times there, there's a lot of kind of mechanisms that government use to speak directly with citizens. And a lot of them aren't very creative or engaging. They don't necessarily make it easy for people to kind of give their perspectives. They don't necessarily, they have maybe a lot of like invisible barriers that aren't necessarily perceived by everyone that keeps people from coming and being a part of those spaces. And you're thinking about like kind of like government feedback loops on development projects and things like that. Yeah. So a lot of what we're doing within that space is, is kind of finding, you know, what are the ways that we can take, you know, the kind of these questions and decision-making, you know, context, out of the spaces that they are in and take them more directly to community members, whether that's setting up at a public festival or in a park or taking things to a barber shop or to the library, but breaking it out into more accessible spaces. 
And then once we're in those spaces and once we have people that are kind of engaging and talking to us, making those spaces active so they're not just kind of a passive listen and then come to a microphone and give response, but they're conversational and there's kind of a bubbling up of opinions that can emerge from small group conversation. And mm. so a lot of what we suggest is kind of really, you know, breaking up that work, taking it to people and making it more creative. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you've worked in this field for a little while now, Ramsey. So how have you seen this design and social innovation sector transform and change over the last five years or so? And where do you see it heading? <clears throat> this is one of those, those hard questions that I wanted to reflect on more. Uh, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. It's still a, a, a nascent space. It's still an emergent space. It doesn't have a ton defined in it, but it's it's been growing a lot. You know, so I remember back, you know, a lot of the focus I think originally in the space was on kind of an international development um, perspective. There was yeah. kind of these, you know, I think a there's you know there's a I don't know exactly why that was. I mean, for us specifically, it was because of the product design background that I had. And thinking about developing, you know, enterprise solutions based on physical, tangible products, mm. you know. And so I think with the emergence of kind of like design strategy, service design over the past decade plus, you've seen social design move in those directions. And a lot of that uh, is space that's really appropriate for working on complex problems. So this idea of, you know, using design thinking, doing deep design research, applying design at a strategic level you know, designing things that aren't material, but they are actually like policies, programs, services, positions has emerged as a space. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's really, I think, opened up this kind of social design field to whole new opportunities of engagement. So yeah. you're seeing that kind of the design field itself mature into these more complex spaces, but then you're also seeing uh, some acceptance in larger institutions, um, funding spaces, you know, the government space specifically, especially under the Obama administration, mm. uh, around kind of engaging designers and offices of innovation. Yep. You're seeing that even at municipal levels, usually from a data perspective, but it's, but it's still kind of a, like right next to kind of a design um, perspective on innovation. Mm. And, and you know, so I think there's a lot more opportunity you know, um, than there was before. There's a lot more awareness. You know, a lot of the work that we used to do was just making people aware of what we're even talking about when we talk about social design. Yeah. And now there's a lot more kind of understanding that, oh, like even as a social sector practitioner, design thinking or human-centered design has a lot to offer. So I, I do feel like there's a lot less barriers for designers coming into the space now hmm. uh, there's not there's still not like an abundance of positions relative to interest it's it's still a very tight space with unclear kind of career pathways hmm. yeah really interesting so for these perhaps student designers but also the designers out there who are becoming or who are budding social entrepreneurs wanting to get something out there into the world that's going to create some some nice positive impact what advice would you give to them, you know, those who are really keen on starting a purpose-driven enterprise? This is, I think it's, it, it's sometimes a hard thing for young people to hear that are in this position because a lot of them are like upwardly social, socially mobile. They're in this kind of like generation where if you're ambitious, you have to be ready to move from city to city. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think the quickest way to find out like entry into this space is to like really establish a sense of place where you are. 
So because there's not a lot of like straight career paths where you can say, oh, I'm going to go get a job at Design Impact because the reality is there's only, you know, there's, there's only a dozen organizations like ours in the United States. So, you know, your position, there's only, you know, there's a couple hundred positions, yeah. you know, that are available. Um, and then the entry level positions aren't really existing in some of the larger kind of institutions uh, is to really develop, you know, kind of a localized understanding. So when you understand the local context, local politics, when you start showing up um, with that understanding and with your expertise, you can start to build relationships. And it's really about building those relationships and that understanding, which will give you opportunity to apply like a design skill set within the context. Mm. Some of those first opportunities may be free opportunities and maybe voluntary opportunities. But if you can establish that you understand and that you're going to consistently show up and that you're going to be an authentic relationship, then you will have a lot more opportunities to actually do that work with those partners. Because mm. yeah, they're not going to just bring you in as an outsider. And it's not really there's like a, not like there's a lot of jobs being posted in the space for people with less than, you know, eight years of experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's some fantastic advice. So are there any countries, Ramsey, that you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to social design and innovation? And if so, what are they doing that you think that other countries could adopt? You know, at least in the U.S., we point to kind of, you know, the Scandinavian countries for being, I think, just ahead of the curve and generally with like their kind of like public institutions and how they treat um, their citizens as humans. Yep. And, and I think when I think about social innovation and where we really have to go and where we butt our heads up against it in the U.S., so many things that we're working against are established policies of our federal and state governments, mm. um, which maybe are meant to harm, but often create lots of barriers to success, both individually and for our whole communities. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I, and I and I believe that there's a lot of things that some of the Scandinavian countries and granted, they're very different. and You can't compare them one-to-one in the United States. Um, But I do think that they have a lot of policies in place that are way more progressive and to a certain degree uh, innovative in terms of actually delivering more equity into the society. Mm, That's some great insights. So what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which are creating some great social change, whether it be locally or nationally? You know, the more I've been thinking, lately this year, I've been really thinking about social change and, and social design and innovation and in thinking about this concept of collaboration mm-hmm. and that really what's helping create social change is when, you know, people, whether they're within like a specific community or in like an entire region are figuring out how to work together. And to me, it's a, it's a really innovative space because it's not necessarily how like, our social spaces have been built over the past few generations. This yeah. idea of looking across sector to collaborate, looking to kind of share information and, and live in a, a relatively un, like non-directly competitive space together. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually inspired by people doing that. Today, I was just in Columbus, Ohio, um, just to do... Uh, a learning trip I went up with a group of people, mainly from Cincinnati Children's Hospital, to visit um, the work that's being done by Nationwide uh, Children's Hospital in the Columbus region. And I was really impressed with the work they're doing. They've been working really intently with communities. They have like a couple really close community partnerships with community-based organizations. They've got partnerships with some other local funders like Chase Bank. They have uh, partnerships with you know the city of Columbus or the mm-hmm. metro government there. 
And all of those different players are coming together to invest in kind of some fair housing policies and investments in the specific South Side neighborhood. Hmm. And it, you know, I didn't see the before and after, and they're still in process, but it's yeah. one of those really kind of intentional processes that's, that's, you know, put together over years, you know, in decades. Yeah. Like public sector, private sector, social sector partners coming together with community closely, closely there aligned um, to really, you know, improve outcomes within this within a specific community. And I found it really inspiring. It was really neat work. And it's and it's and it's work that has flaws. Mm. It's work to be done better. It's work that's got a long way to go. But it is the kind of work that I feel when we talk about community change or social innovation. That's what I think it looks like. You know, I think it looks like collaboration. I think it looks like people thinking creatively about how they can work together. Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like a really inspiring project and uh, sort of very grassroots driven, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, it was really, it was really neat to just, I mean, and, and Grant, I had a voyeur's, you know, you know, one day pass uh, to check it out. So, you know, there's, there's always, there's always devils in the details, but it was, I was really impressed with it today. Yeah. So to finish off then, Ramsey, what books would you recommend to our listeners? So many books. The, you know, the, the book that, that got this all going for me, like if someone's in, in design school and is just kind of interested in this, you know, was um, the two books that really touched this off for me. One was Victor Papanek's Design for the Real World. It's yep. really outdated in, in awful ways, but um, really inspiring um, and mm. resonated with me deeply as an industrial designer specifically. And then William McDonald's uh, Cradle to Cradle around mm. just, you know, kind of like, you know, the, just this, this vision of possibility and it's specifically within kind of a sustainability space, yeah. but just like his perspective on, Hey, you know, we can create change. Change is possible is really powerful. Mm. Um, so for young designers, I recommend those. And then for me, what I've been reading about, you know, some, some influential books, I mean, like, are just like other change processes. I think that, what always scares me is when you've got people who are design thinkers or human centered designers and are really such strong adherence to the process that they think everything, every problem is like a design thinking is a problem that needs to be hit with a design thinking hammer, you know, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, for me, you know, I, I think reading about other change processes, you know, reading, you know, I forget the authors, but, you know, books on adaptive leadership, on lean startup, yep. on social, on social labs, you know, are, they're related processes. And I think as, as a, as a designer, you know, they'll seem accessible, they'll make sense, but then just picking them up and like trying to understand like, you know, when does it make more sense to run kind of a lean startup model for prototyping versus a traditional, you know, human centered design model for yeah, prototyping? Yeah. You know, when does it make sense for us not to, necessarily you know run a brainstorm but actually like sit down and have a knee-to-knee -knee, you know conversation using more of a world cafe model so there's lots of different models out there for change and i think you know when you're when we think of ourselves not necessarily as social designers but as you know change agents with communities it's helpful to have a broader toolkit to, to pull from yeah yep absolutely well, that's a fantastic note to end it on ramsey Thank you so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today, and we'll look forward to touching base again in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Tom. This has been a really, really fun conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. 
You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.